You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I'm going to mix it up a little bit and not be in the book of Nehemiah and really preaching an unrelated kind of message tonight. Uh, I have a message out of Nehemiah that I was ready for. Uh, But it's one of those messages you really want more people to hear, and with the weather affecting our attendance today, I'm going to hold off on that. So we're going to come to Nehemiah's contemporary tonight in the book of Ezra, chapter 7, and once you're there, would you go ahead and stand? We're going to read uh, these first 10 verses. Ezra, chapter 7, and uh, I don't know why I keep picking these passages with a bunch of weird names, but I've done it again tonight. And uh, we'll get through this, hopefully, Ezra chapter 7, and uh, we'll read from verse 1 down through verse 10. It says, Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Meraoth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Yes, that that would be Aaron, Moses' brother, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of Israel and of the priests and the Levites and the singers and the porters and the Nethinims unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. So just as a background, this is, this is a few years before Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem. This is Ezra and, and some of these people that we're reading about right here were probably in the meeting that Nehemiah had over in Nehemiah chapter 2 to pitch the idea of rebuilding the walls. These were the ones that were there listening and probably many that had gotten involved in the rebuilding of the wall. They're probably listed right here. Just an interesting parallel. This is a few years before that. Let's keep going. Verse 8. It says, And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon... And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. That's a phrase that seems familiar. For Ezra, and here's the key verse, Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So tonight's message is really about God giving a prepared man, a great opportunity. And he gave him the opportunity because he was prepared. Again in verse 10, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And I believe that the ones most prepared are the ones who get the most opportunities. Thank you for standing. Um, God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. I remember watching a clip from a talk show a few years back, and, and I just saw a clip. I'm not even actu- sure completely about what show it was from, and, 
But they were walking around with a micro, uh, microphone and walking up and down the streets of, a, of some large city and asking random people questions that should be simple, but when you're put on the spot and you have to answer a question, then you can't think of any of, of the answer, even though it's obvious to everybody else. And the sole purpose of this exercise was to laugh at people uh, because their answers were so bad and, and it was so obvious and yet they couldn't get the answer out. Well, I remember uh, in this clip they were asking people to name one of the Ten Commandments. And that's a recipe for disaster considering how um, illiterate, biblically, our country has become. So they were going around and they were asking people one of the, to name one of the Ten Commandments and the most common answer was God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, I think it's number 11, but didn't quite make the cut, but it's, you know, the Barna Group, which is a Christian polling firm, they found that more than 80% of Americans believe that that phrase is in the Bible. Uh, another common, or other common misquoted verses are things like cleanliness is next to godliness. Um, I think I would have thought it was in the Bible based on how many times my mother told that to me as a child. Or, follow your heart and you can do anything you put your mind to. Those are other misquoted verses uh, that people think are in the Bible. But I was thinking about that phrase, God helps those who help themselves. And while God helps those, that phrase is, is definitely not one of the commandments. I started thinking about whether or not that statement is true. See, there's a lot of people that are opposed to the thought that God helps those who help themselves. And it is true in the matter of salvation that that phrase is not accurate. Uh, we don't do our part and God does his part and we meet halfway and it forms the perfect pairing. That's not how salvation works. No, when it comes to salvation, there's nothing we can do to help ourselves besides exercise faith and believe what the Bible says that we're supposed to believe. When it comes to salvation, it's all of God's grace. It's not about our works at all. In some way, you could say it's more accurate to say God helps those who cannot help themselves. Because I believe that that's true. And the Bible's full of countless examples of men and women who couldn't help themselves. So God intervened in his grace and he helped them when they were at their weakest point. Um, but I do believe there is some truth to this statement. God helps those who help themselves. I'm not going to dismiss it as being completely untrue because if you think about certain biblical examples, you start to realize there is some truth to that. You see, I, I do think there's a precedent set that God provides help to people who have helped themselves by being prepared to be used by God. In other words, uh, there are plenty of examples in the Bible of God coming to someone who had prepared themselves for the work and giving them an opportunity because they were prepared. Uh, for instance, Joseph. You know, all those years that he was uh, sold by his brothers as a slave and he served in Potiphar's house, then he was sent to the prison. All of those years, here's a man who had really no motivation or no outside reason to have faith or to, to pursue a relationship with God, or to prepare himself to be used by God, except that he just kept doing it. He kept preparing himself, he kept having faith, he kept submitting to God's big plan, and it put him in a position to be second in command in the most powerful government in the world. I mean, that, that is an example of God helping somebody who helped themselves. I think about David. 
You know, you, you read how David, when he went out to the battlefield and he heard Goliath's blasphemy, and then he went to Saul and said, I want to I go fight the, the giant. And Saul was like, who are you? You know, looking at him as he's just his teenager. And it's like, what can you do in the face of a giant like that? And he said, well, there was a lion that came along to try to take my sheep. And I killed it. And there was a bear that came along. And guess what? I killed that too. So here's a young boy, a teenage boy out in the field protecting his sheep. And he's just protecting sheep doing his job. What he didn't realize is he was preparing himself to face a giant. I think about somebody like Daniel who made the decision to not defile himself with the king's meat. And a couple chapters later, uh, he's standing before the king. See, if your context of God helps those who help themselves, if, if your context is any of those men, there's truth to the statement. He does at times help those that help, that help themselves. These men that I just mentioned, they help themselves by being prepared to be used by God when the opportunity arose and God helped them in return. And really, the Bible is full of examples of men and women who acted by faith to make themselves usable, to make themselves available, and then God came along, provided his help in an opportunity, and did something wonderful through that person because they were ready for it. You see, we don't just wait for God to do all the work. Now, in salvation, and I have to say that again, in salvation, it is not part of God and part of us. It is all of God's grace. We simply believe and have faith. But when it comes to our Christian lives, we don't just sit around and wait for God to force us to get into the action. We do our part. We serve. We're involved. We're active. And then he sends opportunities along that, would, that are beyond, sometimes beyond what we ever thought we would have. But we don't just wait for God to do our work. We do our part. So while it's true God helps those who can't help themselves, when it comes to being useful, useful for God, your opportunities, folks, your opportunities are increased if you will be prepared for them. If you will take the small things, the small, we could go to a New Testament uh, passage and look at his, the, the one that had the few amount, the small amount of talents and turn them into something big. It wasn't much, but they were preparing for the day that the master would come and, and call them on what they'd done with their talents. One example of this, I think, in the Old Testament is found in the life of this man named Ezra. He put himself in a position to be helped by preparing himself to be useful. Ezra was a contemporary of Nehemiah, which we've been studying on Sunday nights, and he came onto the scene. The book of Ezra was written, uh, uh, well, the, the events of Ezra took place 11 or 12 years before the events of Nehemiah. So he got to Jerusalem about 12 years before Nehemiah did. He had come back to reinstate the temple service and do some repairs, but mostly to get the worship going again. Ezra was a descendant of Aaron. He was a, a Levite. And uh, that means he was a priest by birth. So he had special interest in the, the priestly worshipful duties in the temple. He had an interest in that. And now, he didn't work as a priest because he lived in Babylon. He was a captive just like everybody else. And since we've been studying Nehemiah, I'm not going to get into all the history or the timeline tonight. But because of Israel's unfaithfulness to God, they broke their part of the covenant. God allowed them to go to Babylon and be in captivity for about 150 years before Ezra rises to prominence here in chapter 7. So Ezra had been born in Babylon. 
That all, that's all he had ever known. He was a captive in a strange, godless land, like Daniel and, and the young men in the book of Daniel. They were captives there. They were in a heathen culture, except we're, we're told that Daniel and his contemporaries probably were brought in, but Ezra was born there. It had been 150 years since the captivity took place. Unless he's really old, he had been born in Babylon. So he rises to prominence here, having been raised in a heathen culture. But listen, somewhere, somewhere along the line, somebody took Ezra under their wing and, and taught, them about, taught him about his heritage. You're, you're a Levite. You have the priest of the Levite. Or the, you're of the seed of the Levites. That's your heritage. And so at somewhere along the line, he embraced the fact that he was a follower of Jehovah. He embraced the fact that he was simply in exile. He, he, he grabbed on to the fact that he served Jehovah. He didn't adapt into the culture. He didn't say, well, this is, my, this is where I was born. This is where I live, so I will go this direction. No, even in that heathen culture, Ezra decided, I'm going to stand out. Ezra decided, I'm going to be one that prepares myself to do something for God, even though at that point he, hadn't, he wasn't even in Jerusalem. Uh, he, he made this decision much earlier than that to prepare himself. He was a scribe by, by trade, and what we will know that to mean is that he probably worked for the Babylonian government, and he had access to many royal documents most people never got to see. He was able to study those. We know that based on many of the details that he records in his book. That he, was, he had access to certain documents. He was a scribe, which means he copied. You couldn't go to a copier and just make copiers, copies of things back in that. Why, why would you want to? By the way, just before church, the reason I was late coming in tonight is because um, a certain devil possessed the church copier while I was trying to print my message tonight. So the only other place where you'll find more demons is in a church sound system. But I'm not going to get into that either. So he, they copied by hand. They copied word by word their documents so they would be preserved. Now, Ezra didn't consider himself to be a Babylonian. He didn't consider himself to be a captive in a strange land and adopt and, and assimilate. No, he considered himself first and foremost to be a follower of Jehovah. And folks, and let me just, this is a side point, but he was working for a corrupt, heathen, pagan government doing that job, and he was doing it to the best of his ability, but he identified first as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's possible to do both, and in the process, prepare yourself for something greater than you thought. Verse 6 tells us that he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. And that word, that phrase, ready, means that he was a scribe, but he used his talents as a scribe to learn and copy the law of Moses. So obviously, he either had some freedom in his workplace or on his own time. He had a copy of the law of Moses, and he would, he would write it out. He was a scribe. It refers, the law of Moses refers to the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis, Deuteronomy, or through Deuteronomy, it's called the Pentateuch or the Torah. So Ezra was passionate about God's law. Even as a captive, he's in a foreign land, in a pagan culture, and yet God's law is on his mind. I mean, that's a pretty good lesson for us to learn. We're in a pagan heathen culture, and many of you work in places that, that are not helpful to Christians, but you have a passion for God's law, and you operate based on it, and I commend you for it. Thank you. So when Babylon fell to the Persian kings, which we've talked a, lot, a little bit about in in Nehemiah, when, when Babylon fell to the Persians, 
Though the Persian kings were much more open to the Jews, to the Israelites coming back to re-inhabit or re- come back to Jerusalem and take back over the land that was theirs and, and even establish the proper way of worshiping Jehovah and rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls. And, and Ezra, his job was to return and teach the Jews God's law. He was coming back so that someone would teach them God's law. If you can imagine, most of them were born and raised in Babylon. They weren't going to church every Sunday. Uh, They didn't have access to God's law. But here's Ezra, a young man who had decided, I will be passionate about God's law in a heathen pagan culture. I will learn it as well as I can. And an opportunity comes along and he says, I'll be the one that teaches God's people God's law. That's going to be his job. And it leads us to this passage here, which is Ezra being used by God to lead a group of people back to Jerusalem and establish the temple worship again. Seventy years have passed since the first wave of Jews had returned and the temple had been built, but things were bad. Things were in disarray. Uh, The people that had come back had looked around in the land and started intermarrying with those that lived in in, uh, Canaan. Uh, they were looking around and they were marrying these from these different tribes that God very clearly years before had said, don't marry, that's part of the covenant. You don't marry those that are around, the heathen of the land. And yet they had begun to do that. Someone had to come back and teach them. Someone had to come back and tell them what God's law said. Somebody had to come back and tell them how to live for God. And my focus tonight is, on, is on, not on just on what Ezra taught them, we, we're not going to get into all that, but, but how Ezra put himself in a position to be used. See, look again at verse 10. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. See, Ezra wasn't just sitting around waiting for God to do all the work. Ezra was not a, a passive Christian. Ezra was not just sitting in a pew and saying, well, you know, when an opportunity just falls into my lap, then I'll get ready for it. No, he's a man in a pagan culture living as a captive under godless kings, but he's still preparing himself to be used without any guarantee that he'll ever even get the opportunity to be used. There's no guarantee that Ezra, uh, when he started preparing and learning the law and writing the law, there was no guarantee that they would ever go back to Jerusalem. I mean, at the point that he began his study and commitment to God's law, they were probably still under Babylonian rule, which meant there was no chance for them to go back to Jerusalem. But because he was prepared, when the opportunity came, he was ready. See, he was a man who helped himself to be useful for God. Ezra wasn't helping himself out of self-interest. He wasn't preparing himself so, so he could lift himself up. He was preparing himself for greater purposes of God. And folks, when we do that, I believe God will bring us opportunities to be used. So let me just give you two ways, two things that Ezra did to help himself to be useful. First, he prepared his heart. In other words, he started with his personal relationship with God. Look at verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. You see, for Ezra, his relationship with Jehovah had started with his heart. And I love the way that the verse says Ezra's heart was involved. See, the heart is the most important element to God because it's more than just action, it's affection. 
See, when our hearts are involved, we're not just going through the motions. Our affections are involved. Our love for God is involved. And the Lord said to Samuel in regard to King Saul, and you know this, but uh, he said, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I've refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. We know that verse. We've heard that. And what that means to us is that God is not just interested in the outside. He's not just interested in our actions. He's interested in our affections. He wants us to serve him not out of habit. He wants us to serve him out of love. He's concerned that our hearts love him first. And if he doesn't have our hearts, he's not all that concerned with what we're doing after that. See, Ezra wasn't just going through the motions. This meant something to him. He didn't prepare just his head. He prepared his heart. God had Ezra's affection. Ezra's relationship with God, it started on a heart level, folks. But it was made evident through obedience. But it starts on the inside. See, not only does it say Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, it also says, and to do it. See, I love the order given here. These are, these are Ezra's own words. He wrote this, just like he wrote the book of Nehemiah later. But by his own testimony, it started in his heart, and it affected the way that he lived, and to do it. Ezra had an inside-out walk with God. His Christian life, if you want to call it that, his Christian life was lived inside-out. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, the love of God that we keep his commandments. See, Ezra loved God on a heart level. He was following God on a heart level. It was real to him, inward to him, and he proved it outwardly, inside out. He prepared himself on a heart level. In other words, Ezra's primary concern was that his relationship with God came first. His heart, his love for God was his priority. And folks, we must, we've got to be sure that we keep our relationship with God our first priority. It's easy to get flipped, isn't it? See, the proper order is lived inside out. It starts in the heart. It's made evident in our lives. But is that the order in your life? Is your Christian life lived inside out where God has your heart and it's real and on a personal level you walk with him and it's real when no one's watching, it's real. And when, and when, when no one knows that you're reading your Bible, you are. And when no one knows that you're praying, you are. There's something real on the inside. It's starting with the heart and lived outwardly. Is that your order or are you just living outwardly and your heart is kind of somewhere floating out somewhere else? You relate with God on a heart level first? Is it inside out for you? Or do you live in such a way that, it's, if, that you're living outside in? If we could take what, what you are and flip it inside out, turn you inside out, I mean, what would people see? Do you do your, the actions without the heart? Listen, you cannot please God if the order is flipped. You cannot please God with an outside in Life. It's internal than external. God wants our hearts and he wants it to start internally. You know why? I mean, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's not looking just for obedience. He's looking for love, as we already read in 1 John 5. In Colossians three twenty three, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. 
So the way that we do something, the way that we serve, God sees it and he's either pleased or not. And when he's not pleased, it's because our heart is not involved. It's not real. It's not internal. The most important thing you can do, folks, to prepare yourself to be useful to God is to prioritize your walk with God, your relationship with God. Be, and I've said this before, but I'll say it probably many more times, be who you're supposed to be before you try to do what you're supposed to do. Be first. You want to help yourself be useful to God, start with the heart. Your heart preparation, the inward, inside part of you, your personal relationship, that must be first. And Ezra was preparing himself that way. But second, he prepared his head. He prepared his heart, but he also prepared his head with biblical knowledge. Verse 10, again, he prepared his heart, uh, had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. See, there's a saying that goes, you don't really know something until you have to teach it. Have you heard that before? Uh, In other words, you can learn a lot about different subjects. As a student, you can learn a lot about this and that, and you can have a lot of knowledge, and you may may be even able to learn enough to pass a test. You might be able to learn enough to write a paper about it. You, young people, you know, you're going through classes, you're, you're taking classes and going through school, and you may know enough about a subject to pass a test or to pass a quiz or write a paper, uh, but you, you start to find out how much you know or maybe how little you know if, you, if someone was to ask you to stand up and teach on that subject for 45 minutes. That's where it starts to change. I've been through that myself. I, years ago, I was able to teach there at Heartland Baptist Bible College, teach a couple classes. And I remember my first day, I, you know, I'd been a song leader for a while. But they said, you've got to come teach song leading. And I remember standing up there and looking at that group. And I mean, and their Bible college students at 730 in the morning are a scary bunch. And I remember thinking, looking at those guys like, Okay, I thought I was ready for this. I've been doing this for a long time. But as I stood there right in front of them, I realized, no, this, this is a whole different level. I have to start from scratch with some guys. Some guys think that, you know, they look at a music staff and they think it's Greek. They don't even know what it is. And some guys are bored the whole semester because they have theory down and I've got to bring them all together and teach. I'm telling you, it was a tough thing. I had to learn how to teach in that setting. And it, it wasn't until I started teaching that I realized how little I actually knew about it. It's one thing to wave your arms. It's another to take a class of 40 or 50 guys and by the end of the semester have them waving their arms too without hurting somebody. It's, I think we did have some get hurt. You know, that's true for most of us. We can confidently say, oh yeah, I've got, I've got knowledge about this. I've got knowledge about that. But if you're called upon to teach it to somebody, if you were to stand in front of somebody and try to teach it for 45 minutes, would you still be confident? See, Ezra wasn't just a scribe. He wasn't just sitting in the back room under the candlelight with a pen and a scroll copying the law of Moses as an exercise in penmanship. Like, you, you know, you had to do that in school when you got in trouble. You know, I, I mean, I will not run in the hallways. I will not run in the hallways and you have to do it a hundred times, you know. This, that's, not, that's not Ezra. Ezra's not just going through the motions with his hand. His heart is involved and he's learning the law, not just to know it. He's learning it well enough to teach it. He wants to pass it along to somebody. It says in verse 6 that he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. And that phrase means he was quick. He was prompt. He was skilled. 
You know what that means? Well, if you had a question about the law and you went to Ezra, he could answer it just like that. I mean, just as quick as you can think. He was ready. It was quick. It was on the tip of his tongue. You know, I've I've had that happen to me before. I've had people ask me questions before and I'm saying, oh, let me get back to you about that. It's not on the, the tip of my tongue. It's not just right there. That's not how Ezra was. He knew the law backwards. He knew the law forward. He knew it so well. He was ready. He was quick. And he wasn't just learning for himself. He was learning to teach others. He was passionate about the law, so passionate that he learned enough to teach it. If you're going to teach, you better know it. And what's interesting to me is that Ezra may or may not have had an outlet to teach the law of Moses. I mean, I doubt there, were, there was a law of Moses class in Babylon at the local community college for Ezra to go teach at nights. I mean, imagine, he probably didn't have many outlets. So in his mind, what he could have done in that moment, he's sitting in the room, he's, he's copying the law of Moses. He could have in that room said, I will never have an opportunity to teach this to somebody else. I'll never be standing in front of people trying to give them the law. I'll never have the word of God open and, and me teaching Jews because we're in Babylon. It's Babylonian kings right now. They don't want us to go back to Jerusalem. We'll probably never end up in Jerusalem. We'll be here for the rest of our lives. So what's the use throw the pen behind his, his head and lean back in his chair and say, I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to hang out. There's no reason for me to prepare for something that will probably never happen anyway. He could have said that, but he didn't. He continued to prepare himself for an opportunity he couldn't even see. And the idea is that he anticipated someday being able to teach others. He had faith that God would, would, was a God of his word, and would someday bring Israel back to Jerusalem. And in his mind, he was thinking, someday maybe I'll get a chance to teach the life-changing law of God to the Jews again. See, that gets us to the, the point tonight, is that how we help ourselves with preparation determines how God blesses us with opportunities. How we help ourselves with preparation determines how God blesses us with opportunities. See, this is how God helps those who help themselves. He sends opportunities. And when the opportunity comes, then God gives us his help. See, Ezra was prepared in his heart in who he was, and he was prepared in his head what he knew. And because of that, God blessed him with an opportunity that nobody else in history has ever had. Diligence and being ready could very well be the difference in whether or not we get an opportunity. That's historic. I, I think about witnessing. You know, you think about all the preparation it takes to, to walk around and, and present the gospel to somebody. I mean, I, 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 it took me years and years to feel confident where I could open the scripture and show somebody from start to finish that how they can know they're going to heaven. But you know, that should be a very basic for every child of God. Yeah, and you're saying, well, you know, I, I won't ever get opportunities. I'll never have an opportunity to witness to somebody. That's not my personality. Uh, I don't get out much. I don't have a social life. I don't see anybody. No, no, you, you think you're not going to have an opportunity, but I'm telling you, if you prepare yourself to give the gospel to somebody, we serve a God, a divine God, a providential God that will send you an opportunity if you're prepared for it. 
And even if he doesn't, even if he's not sending somebody to your doorstep, you have an opportunity every time you pass somebody at the grocery store, there's an opportunity. I think about discipling and, and how we've got a lot of new members and, and, and young Christians and, and they're eager to learn and eager to grow. And, and, and I think about how uh, we're, we're sometimes, honestly, we're standing up here sometimes thinking, um, can we please just have some laborers in the nursery? Can we please just have some help in the nursery? Can we just have somebody that would be willing to help the ladies that are in there every service? And sometimes you can almost pull your hair out as a pastor thinking we certainly we have qualified ladies that can help in the nursery or certainly we have qualified teachers, people that could stand in a classroom and teach to those young, those children. And yet we shouldn't be surprised if we don't, if we're not actively discipling people to be prepared for those opportunities. I I mean, we're going to have to take the bull by the horns. And we're going to have to decide uh, if we want people that are prepared to teach in the back and to watch the nursery and to serve in other areas, then we, we just gonna have to, we're going to have to take the bull by the horns. And the young people coming up and these young Christians coming in and those that are newly baptized, we're going to have to say, okay, it's time for you to get discipled. We're going to take you through this course. You're going to learn these things in three months. We're going to take meet every week. Somebody's going to have to walk them through that. We can't complain about a lack of laborers if we haven't invested in those laborers. Amen. You know, I think about, uh, you know, this is true in parenting. You know, I think, I mean, I think about my children all the time being ready to stand before somebody and, and, and tell them their faith and, and give them the gospel or, 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 or maybe even articulate their positions on the way that they dress or, or the things that they'll do and or the things they won't do. And I think about them being prepared for that as a parent. And that's a little bit intimidating. But if I don't invest in them being ready for it, they won't be ready for it. So that means, parents, we've got to have some conversations with our children. And we have to disciple them at home. And we have to open the Word of God at home. And we have to teach them the truths from God's Word and have conversations so that they're ready. We have to help them be prepared because someday, I promise you, especially with the way that our culture is going, someday our children will stand in front of people that are likely going to persecute them and they'll have to articulate their faith. Are they going to be ready for that? I mean, the opportunities are going to come, and we have to be willing to help prepare them for it. I think about uh, in ministry. I mean, we, you know, this morning we had some teachers out. And it was, I, I was thinking, I wonder, is there somebody we could just have teach? And men, we need, we need more qualified teachers at Eastside Baptist Church. And you're thinking, well, if I ever get the opportunity, I'm telling you, I will really pour myself into preparing for that. That's not how it works. See, you start getting ready for that class right now. And as you get ready for that class today, in three months, when there's an opportunity to teach, you say, I've been getting ready for this for three months. I have a lesson. I have an outline. I've been thinking about illustrations. I'm ready to teach. If you need somebody to stand up there and do it, I'd be willing to do it. But that opportunity will likely not come your way unless you start preparing for it right now. I mean, it'd be great to have some more men. Uh, if I'm out and, brother, you know, Brother Chad, I'm sure he wouldn't mind giving some of the, duty, the preaching duties to somebody else. I mean, he does a wonderful job. I mean, I'm, I, uh, there's a lot of staff members in churches that, I mean, I, I would choose Brother Chad 
to fill the pulpit before them any day. It is a great job, but you know, we need some more men that are willing and ready to preach. That, that you'll say, no, listen, I don't have an opportunity right now, but I'd be willing to start working toward that. We need some more people to be involved in music. If you think, well, you know, it seems like the same people are always up there. Well, that's fine, but also start getting ready. Well, first, let me hear you sing, and then start getting ready for a special. Let me give you the green light first. You know, this is a skill set. Your skill set can be used in God's house. I, I can promise you, no matter what you do in your daily work, there's something you do that can be of use in God's house. So prepare yourself, not just to make money with your skill, but to be used for God. If you wait until the opportunity comes before you start preparing, you're going to miss it. So how are you doing in preparing yourself in these ways? Your heart preparation? Are you walking with God? Is it a daily activity? And, you know, I, I've, we, ought, we ought to be in our Bibles every day. In the same way that you, would, that you say, I ought to eat every day to maintain health and energy, you ought to be in God's Word every day to maintain your spiritual health and energy. And are you preparing your heart? Is your heart ready for whatever comes next? Are you ready? Is your head ready? Are you, are you improving yourself, getting ready to use your skills in God's house and use your abilities and your talents? Because someday an opportunity is going to come along, and if you're not ready, guess what? You're going to miss it. And there, I just think of the result of Ezra being prepared. He, he had opportunities like he was able to teach God's law in Jerusalem. After they came back from captivity, I mean, how amazing is that? What higher calling could there be than investing in the next generation with God's word? I mean, he also had the blessings of men. And these are results of him being prepared. He had the blessings of King Artaxerxes. He went, in verse 6, it says the king granted all of it, all the things he requested. The king gave it to him. What does that mean? Well, Ezra, that means Ezra had such a reputation that Artaxerxes basically wrote him a blank check. I mean, Artaxerxes basically said um, that you go, I'll send you riches, I'll send you everything. You, it sounds a lot like Nehemiah. Everything you need um, to set up the worship of God, whatever's left over, you just use it how God would have you use it. If you need more money, what I'll do, Ezra, if you need more money, I'll command everybody, every king you come across on your journey, I'll command them to give you whatever money you ask for. I mean, this is a powerful man. Uh, he, he, I'll even tell them that they can't tax you as you travel through their land. And you just go, you set up the court system, whatever you say, whatever you say goes, Ezra. That's, that's the kind of blank check Ezra got from Artaxerxes. That's how much his preparation helped the cause of Israel. It gave confidence to a pagan king to say, yep, yeah, whatever you need, Ezra, you just go do it. And, and twice in this passage, we see this phrase, according to the hand of the Lord has God upon him. The Lord's hand was with him, just like Nehemiah. So the results were that he had great opportunities. Uh, he had the blessings of, of men, and he had the favor of God. God's help. Listen, God has an opportunity planned for you. God has something in store for you. I'm, I'm not trying to sound like Criflo Dollar or some TV preacher tonight, Joe Osteen. Yeah, God has a plan. No, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that without some backing of truth here tonight. God has a plan for your life. God has something big in store for you. 
And I'm, this is not name it, claim it, where you just pray it and you'll have it and you'll have riches beyond your imagination. No, I'm not talking about riches. I'm talking about opportunities to serve. Opportunities to make a difference for God. God has an opportunity for you. Are you going to be ready for it? Or are you going to miss it? See, tonight we have to have the mindset that I will prepare for the greatest opportunity I can imagine and just see if God will give it to me. Why don't you prepare in the year 2020 that God might have you lead a soul to Christ? Why don't you just prepare to say, I want somebody to be saved, not for my own glory, but because I just want to see that God use me to see somebody saved this year and start preparing. Like God might have you be the one that does it and you just show me. At the end of the year, just, just show me and say, well, he never gave me an opportunity. No, you have thousands of opportunities every day. If you just prepare yourself to be used in a way that you don't even think you can be used, who knows what God might do with that? Some man in here say, listen, I know we've got a need for teachers and we need to have a need for spiritual leadership in this church and I want to be that man. I'm going to start preparing my heart and start preparing my head and I want to be the kind of man that can be a spiritual leader at Eastside Baptist Church. You start preparing for that and I'm, and I'm telling you, God will send an opportunity your way. I think about our young people and I, I love this group of people. I have a heart for young people. Look around and see all these kids you know, 18 and under, and I'm thinking just all the potential in the world. Listen, God might use you to make a difference that you never dreamed he could make with you. But a lot of young people, they just kind of drift through life and ride their parents' coattails, and they don't really ever have a walk with God on their own. They just kind of believe whatever's been told. No, if you'll start preparing yourself as a 13, 14, 15-year-old to be used in a great way by God, and you'll wake up early in the morning and read your Bible, and you'll spend time in prayer, real prayer, and you'll do whatever you can to develop a skill that God could use in His kingdom, I can't wait to see what God might do with that. Because most young people are either too disinterested or too lazy to really invest in preparing themselves for God's work. And guess what? The opportunities never come. But if you'll prepare yourself, I can't wait to see. I see that some of these young boys in here, and I think, man, future preachers. Or just as important, future solid, loyal, spiritual laymen in the church. If they would just take some time to start preparing for it. I'd love it if my son becomes a preach officer someday. You know, if he's going to be a preach officer, he's going to have to start preparing himself spiritually for that, even as a six-year-old. We've got to take that seriously. Prepare as if God's going to do something great with you. Prepare as if God's going to use you in a way you never thought. And, and who knows, because the kind of God he is, if you're prepared, it might just happen. You know what Ezra's name means? It means Jehovah helps. Help. See, do you want the good hand of God to help your life? I know you do. Well, then prepare your heart and prepare your head and help yourself and God will help you. And as God good, God's good hand sends you the opportunities, watch and provide you with the help you need to accomplish those purposes. God, in many ways, it's not in the Bible, but in many ways, God does help those that help themselves. And someday you might say, well, God helped me. 
not for anything I did, not because of anything I earned, not because I'm the man or I, you know, I really worked hard, but because I simply said, God, if you'll send me an opportunity someday, I'll prepare for it. I'll be ready for it. And I don't even know what that means. You apply that in your life. Because I don't, I don't know your dreams and I don't know your plans. I just know that God could do a lot more with us than we let him. At least that's the way it is for me. I think God, I probably miss, I look at opportunities, and this is my own imagination, but I look at opportunities like if God is in heaven and he's got a jar, and it's full of the opportunities he has for Jason Jett. And he's just ready and waiting for me to prepare myself for it. And when, when he sees that I'm ready, he opens the jar and he takes the opportunity and throws it down to me. He puts the lid back on and I go on through life again and, and there's another opportunity coming up that God wants me to, to enjoy or, or to experience and he's waiting and he's waiting and I'm not doing anything for it. And that opportunity that he has is just waiting there for me. He has to kind of put the jar back and go on to the next person because I didn't take the time to prepare myself for what he had in store for me. And I just wonder how full my jar still is. I wonder how many opportunities at the end of my life I'll leave on the table. Because I didn't value the difference God can make through me enough. And I didn't take advantage of preparing myself for something bigger. Instead, I settled and sat back and said, yeah, I'll just leave my jar full. I got a lot of other things going, Lord. What opportunities are you going to miss out on? Because you are failing to prepare for them. I think we would probably, it, we'd probably be ashamed to look back and see all the ones we've missed. All the souls we've walked by that God could have used us to make a difference in their lives. All the words we could have said in a moment of discouragement that could have been a help to somebody. Our jars in many ways are still full. It's time to start preparing for our future as if we don't want to miss any opportunity that God still has for us. Let's give ourselves to prepare our hearts and to prepare our heads to make a bigger difference than we ever thought we could. Every, every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.